Hey there, welcome back to Crest in the Afternoon. Marcus Peter filling in for Al Cresta. Second segment of the second hour of today's program. You might have grown up with an image of masculinity defined by tough guys like Clint Eastwood or Sylvester Stallone or Arnold Schwarzenegger. These men had courage, backbone, guts, and grit. Whatever grit is in this regard. But grit isn't enough to satisfy the longing of our soul. We have to trust God and follow his call to be holy because that is the image of authentic manhood. We talk more with Paul George about the saintly guide to becoming a man of virtue. Paul is the author of a book called Holy Grit. The subtitle is, as I mentioned earlier, A Saintly Guide to Becoming a Man of Virtue, published by Ave Maria Press. Paul is a Catholic speaker, teacher, and author of several books, including Rethink Happiness. He's the co-founder of Adore Ministries and served as its president for eight years, and he has more than 25 years of ministry experience on the parish, diocesan, and national levels. Paul, how are you doing today? Hey, good afternoon, Marcus. Great to hear from you. I'm doing great. Thank you. No problem, sir. And it's an honor to have you on the program. So I really want to uh, start launching into this book. Why tackle the topic of authentic manhood? <laughs> what is it, right? <laughs> I think that's the question that so many people ask. You know, it's interesting when you look at it, like so much has been done in the church over the, the years, and rightly so, on uh, femininity mm-hmm. and um, and the beauty of the feminine genius. And when you look at masculinity, I think it's always just been assumed, but never really defined right. in the church. And so, uh, you know, I tackled this in the book, and it was an amazing project. I, I love doing it, and of course I have a passion for awakening the masculine heart, for men to come alive, to live fully and virtuously who God created them to be. That's outstanding, Paul. That's a, that, that's a common theme in my own ministry and speaking as well. It's, it's like God has... Um, particularly, God is particularly raising up this desire amongst many people like us to call our brothers to arms, to call our brothers into warfare, because Satan is coming after our country, but most of all, our marriages and our families. And and it, it has to be men like you and me and our fellow brothers to rise up. Yeah, absolutely. So what we talk about in the book, you know, the title's Holy Grit, and I believe, and, and, and as, you know, I read in Scripture and study the Church and the saints, is that uh, men are created for both, for toughness, for grittiness, for moxie, uh, for discipline. We're created to do hard things, and I think the masculinity on that side. And yet, uh, we're also created for God. We're created for holiness. Mm-hmm. Those two things can't exist in separate boxes. Amen. But when they exist together, that's who God created us to be as man, both, both holy and and gritty, uh, to face tough things with grace, with God. And when those things merge together, that's when we find the full meaning of what it, what it means to live fully a masculine life. Right. I remember growing up, um, I, I'm ashamed to admit this part, but I was quite nearly named Sylvester for the sole reason that my father's a fan of Sylvester Stallone. And uh, it, it, it's largely because those were the men who kind of defined the era in which people like you and I grew up in. Uh, you know, like like every kid uh, when I was growing up wanted to be Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, like into the chopper, everybody get down, right? Like like yeah. everyone just yeah. wanted to be men like that. And yet what you're telling us now is it's not just about the bulging muscles. Like a man has to be man from, uh, has to be a true man, masculine from the inside out. There's so much more to manhood than what the secular culture is telling us. Yeah, absolutely. You know, my grandfather, I speak about this in the introduction, 
uh, was a full-time cowboy, literally, uh, and not make-believe. Uh, he lived on a ranch and raised horses and cattle, and, <clears throat> you know, he was a tough, leathery man, and uh, he believed that only men rode horses for a living, uh, and uh, that was his definition. And, of course, he was very gritty, uh, but but lacked the, the, the godly, the grace side. And it just confused me as a young man. Like, what does it mean to be a man? Like, mm-hmm. what does masculinity really look like? Is it, is it fighting? Is it, uh, is it riding a horse? Is it, you know, being Arnold Schwarzenegger? Um, all these, all these things. And yet that left me sort of unfulfilled, sort mm-hmm. of achieving those and seeking that and, and doing that. And there was a part of me that was alive, right? Like breathing with one lung, Right. There was this other one that was that was unfulfilled. There was no air in it. And it wasn't until like, I began to have a conversion to Christ and that air began to breathe, grace began to live in my life. Then I started learning about these saints who lived these hard, tough lives, who did gritty, hard things, and yet lived amazing, holy, virtuous lives. And I began to say, ha, huh, masculinity looks a lot different than what I thought. Mm-hmm. And you bring up a number of manly, masculine role models that that every man throughout history can look look to. Um, uh, one of one of the ones that you bring up that particularly intrigues me is Thomas More. Why did you have? Why did you choose Thomas More as this kind of et- epitomization of manhood, if you will, true masculinity? Yeah, well, I mean, Marcus, think about this. Right, it said, uh, "Hey, write a book, ten chapters, and pick ten saints." That was the hardest part, right? <laughs> so, like, there's a thousand. And they're, they're amazing stories. And so the hardest part for me was picking 10 saints to, like, highlight each chapter. And in highlighting each chapter, I wrote about their life, their conversion, the tough things, the gritty things, the masculine things, and the godly things, how that all wove together. But I thought one of the things that was very important is that I needed, I needed some saints in these chapters, some of them to be married men, mm. uh, to relate to a guy like me who's married with a family. Um, and so uh, there's some chapters with, with saints who are married, and we don't often think about those guys. St. Peter was married. Uh, St. Thomas More was married. Uh, St. Louis Martin uh, was married. St. Joseph so I, was married. St. Joseph was married. And so those are four that I chose that I thought was really important for men in our culture to see, to see men who were living this vocation and yet doing gritty, holy things at the same time. And so St. Thomas More, I started researching and studying him, and the more and more I just fell in love with his story, his conversion. He lost his first wife, uh, dealt with suffering, married again, raised his kids to be godly kids, and yet faced the king uh, and refused to back down to church teaching and uh, ultimately lost his life as a martyr for the church, standing in truth. And I thought, man, what a guy, right? And right. so his story really captured me. And yet his vocation uh, to the married life was, um, you know, it was central to to the way that he lived his day-to-day. You know, it's amazing that that last line that Thomas More uttered just before he was decapitated, I mean, what what a manly move, what, what a masculine thing to do. <laughs> you know, you, you want to tell us about that? Yeah, I mean, he's just like, you know, the king's servant, but God's servant first, and then he loses his head, you know, and then they put his head on the bridge, his daughter recovers his head, and you'd think, man, am am I, you know, like, am I that gritty? Am I that tough to give my life for a cause?
cause, right? And then we see these images, like you were talking about earlier, Rocky and Arnold Schwarzenegger. It's like, these are movies. But the saints are not make-believe fictional characters. These are real men who live real lives with right. real stories. And, and they weren't, they, they're not the Blessed Virgin Mary who was protected from sin. And, and they, they, they fought sin. They battled it. They, they uh, repented. Like, they have all the same characteristics as you and I do. They lived and did this life like we do every day. And so, you know, we can look at, at these men and say, hmm, it is very possible that I can be that way as well. Right, right. I was I was just thinking about you mentioning movies like Rocky and uh, and, and even these Arnold Schwarzenegger movies. D- to be very honest, I don't think there's a man on the planet who, when watching these movies at the final confrontation, you know, when, when the conflict comes to a head, like in Rocky's case, facing Apollo Creed at the end, there's not a man on the planet who who, who doesn't feel something stirred up in him for battle. You know, I, I, I've just noticed this as a, as a common thread. And you talk about this in this chapter about Thomas More. You, you talk about how we're made for the battlefield. Uh, absolutely. I mean, we're, we are made to face the culture, to not live in a foxhole, to, you know, defend our faith and fight for our faith, to uh, be at the forefront of fighting for our families and, you know, living for the greatest cause we could ever live for in our life, which is... God, right, and mm-hmm. uh, and our vocation, and putting that at the forefront, and you know, it's so interesting to me because I talk about I think in in the chapter on Saint Augustine, like so many men find their identity in what I call the four Bs: the boardroom, the ballroom, the the the, the ball field, the um, and yet um, in in uh, the chapter on Saint Thomas More, I say the fifth B is the battlefield. It's it's the B where we come alive, mm-hmm. right? When we, when we have a battle to fight, and, and the battle we fight is the battle for our Lord and for our families, for truth, for goodness, for love. And St. Thomas More was certainly a figure that we don't often think about, but he stood for those things. And Paul, you're no stranger to this reality. You speak at men's conferences and to groups of men all the time, so you know this. Satan has almost doubled up his efforts in the public sphere to come directly against marriage and the family, which which I believe is one of the reasons why you highlighted married male saints. So comment on that and, and how your your book is helping rouse us to that call for warfare. Well, I mean, the greatest battle is to fight for the heart of our wives and our children if we're married, living in that vocation. And so many men struggle with that. I mean, I think the enemy, Satan, does distract men from that. And obviously, we know the statistics, right? I mean, half of marriages end in divorce, so 50% of men are eliminated from their, that vocation because it's so hard. And you just think, man, uh, it's not what people desire. You know, no one gets married and says, man, I can't wait to get divorced. Right. No one says that. And so they enter into this vocation out of good intentions and a heart to love, and then they realize, man, this is difficult, and then Satan just really wreaks havoc. And if you're married, you're listening, you realize, yeah, marriage is difficult, but yet it's in that marriage that we're called to fight first, to defend, to love, and ultimately to do hard work, to do hard things. And this is, I think, one of the lies in the spiritual life that people buy into is that it's easy. And Mm. Jesus never said that. Right. It's difficult. It's hard. It takes grit and toughness. And sometimes we have to do hard things and make tough choices. But in that, I mean, that's where we come alive again, right? Yep. Uh, it's sort of like you said, like at the end of a movie in the final battle scene, 
no no man is like, man, that was boring. We're right. like, yeah, that's the life I want to live, you know? And yet we're faced with that every day, a choice to live in that battle and to, to fight the enemy. Uh, you know, it's interesting as we're approaching Lent, the first, you know, gospel reading this Sunday in Lent is Jesus going into the desert to do battle with Satan. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. I mean, that is that is the image of the spiritual battle that he's fighting, and he teaches us how to do that. We're talking to Paul George, Catholic speaker, teacher, author of the book Holy Grit: A Saintly Guide to Becoming a Man of Virtue, published by Ave Maria Press. Paul is going to continue having this conversation with us on the other side of the break. Stay tuned. I'm Marcus Peter, filling in for Al Cresta on Cresta in the afternoon. Hey, good evening. Welcome back to Crest in the Afternoon. Marcus Peter filling in for Al Cresta on this Friday afternoon. Optional memorial of the Feast of the Seven Holy Founders of the Servite Order. I'm talking to Paul George, author of Holy Grit, a new book published by Ave Maria Press. It is subtitled, A Saintly Guide to Becoming a Man of Virtue. So, Paul, I want to pick up where we left off. We were talking about this whole notion of warfare and, and engaging in battle and and, and the fact that no man looks at conflict and thinks, gosh, that was boring. And, and during the break, I was thinking about uh, The Lord of the Rings, which is one of my favorite franchises, both both in terms of the literary work and, and the movies. And Aragorn is depicted as a true man of virtue, one who forgoes all things for the sake of the objective good that is before him. And and you're completely right. It, it it sparks something in every single man to want to be like that, to want to take up arms, to want to go into war. So you mentioned the five Bs in this book. I want to uh, just ask your input on that first. Well, it seems like we might have lost Paul. Well... Uh, for those of you who are listening, I'm taking a look at Paul's book, uh, Holy Grit, A Saintly Guide to Becoming Men of Virtue. And Paul starts off by talking about what he calls the five Bs. And in particular, he, he so uh, we have the bedroom, the billfold, the boardroom, the ball field, and the battlefield. And I'll, I'll walk you through what each of these are. Uh, the, the ball field is very simply the competitive nature of, of, of the human person, particularly in terms of a man. Uh, all, all of us, especially men, it's ingrained within us to want to compete. And it's not, it's not a negative thing. Modern culture, secular culture has come to brand masculine desire for competition as if it's a completely negative, almost arbitrary thing that ought to be stifled, when in reality, it's a God-given gift that's inherent to the masculine genius. The more we tap into this in virtue, the more we realize that the person we're really competing with is ourselves. The call of a man every single day, as is the call of every single Christian every single day, is to grow, is to grow in virtue. So, uh, Paul, I believe you're back. Yes, absolutely. So I was just taking everyone through what you were explaining about the ball field and uh, about this inherent thing um, that men experience for competition. So just give us your thoughts on that. Yeah, I talk about the ball field, the boardroom, the billfold, and the bedroom, or the four Bs, and based on the life of St. Augustine and his conversion, which we, you know, his powerful story uh, of that, and how men, you know, the enemy uses those things to attack us. At the same time, God can use those things to engage us in life. When we bring God into the bedroom, into the, the billfold, our money, our career, the boardroom where we 
we can empower people, and then the ball field where we can compete. Uh, we're created to do those things, and when we use it for God, like we really find life and power and grace in doing that as men. Mm-hmm. That, and, and and that's completely true. I, I was just also talking about how this inherent need for competition, it, it, it's ingrained in us as part of our masculine genius, and it's not a bad thing, even though the secular culture tells us that that's somehow toxic. It's actually a very good thing. Yes. Yeah, to engage uh, in competition. You know, it's interesting. I, you know, men come alive when we compete and we enter into battle, but there are some battles that we're afraid of, you know, and we... We crawl in a foxhole. Uh, You know, one is to pursue our wives. It goes back to Adam, who disengaged from the relationship with with Eve when it got hard, when sin entered, right? Mm -hmm. And yet God shows us uh, what to do as a father in that moment is he seeks them out and he engages them in a relationship. So for us as men, like to engage, like to fight the battle and to move towards our wives, even in times of conflict or emotional turmoil or when, you know, issues come up, uh, to not run and hide in an emotional foxhole, but really to, to engage in it and to know that through God's grace, like we can really thrive in our marriages and in our vocation. Right. You know, just just listening to you and, and pondering on this deeper, my son is now 20 months old, I, and obviously I love him dearly, Benedict, and his masculine instincts already come out at 20 months old. Uh, my my <laughs> father-in-law and I, we do karate, so does my bride, you know, we do martial arts. And once in a while, my father-in-law and I will, will practice a couple of moves, and sometimes it's to entertain him, and boy, he just cracks up, and he wants us to keep going. <laughs> You know, it, 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 it's it's those things like he loves being uh, tossed around. He, he When he goes out, he quickly grabs a stick and starts swishing it around as if it were a sword or a staff. Like these things are inherent in him. He wants to engage in battle. He just has no clue what he's doing. <laughs> yeah, if you just allowed, you know, nature to take hold, right? Like who, who we're created to be. <laughs> you know, we just naturally as men have these instincts and in our DNA of who we are as males. To, to, to do these things. Like, this is what makes us different than women. Uh, we complement each other, uh, but yet we, we're not like each other, and that's okay, right? Like, we should allow little boys to play uh, with sticks and be rough and tumble and, you know, do all these things uh, because guess what? They're going to find out later on in life because my, my son is 20. He's finding out that life is hard. Mm-hmm. It's not easy. That as a man, like... It's getting even harder the older that he gets. Mm-hmm. And and so, like, building grit throughout their life is important because if, if, if they're protected and soft when they get older, they're not going to know how to handle failure and adversity. Right. And when faith gets hard and they deal with suffering, they're not going to quit. What you see in, like, a younger generation is a lot of these young people just – when it, when the spiritual life gets hard, they're like, ah, I don't want to do this anymore. Mm-hmm, it's too mm-hmm. difficult. And you're like, no, this is when you come alive when it's hard because God's grace is more during those times. You know, that's exactly why Chesterton wrote in Orthodoxy, right? Uh, Christianity has not been tried and found wanting. It's been found difficult mm-hmm. and not tried. It's because we've created a generation of, of spineless, you know, he, he called us uh, men without bellies. Uh, we've, we've created men who shy away from the difficult. Yeah, preach it, man, and that's so good. But and we're not 
really going after trying to turn away men. We're trying to say, hey, join us like together, like because this is where we actually come alive. You yep. know, when we merge grace and grit, uh, holiness and toughness, like this is really like what makes me fully alive as a man. You know, mm-hmm. uh, uh, it's good that you're, you know, I'm working out and keeping my body in shape and experiencing the outdoors and, and doing hard things and trying to fix things that break. And at the same time, having a life of prayer and virtue and loving Jesus and my family. When, when I'm tr- when those things are merging together, like I just feel like, man, I have purpose in my life. Right. Know? You know, just this past week, I, I have to share with you and, and my bride and I both realized this is coming from the masculine genius part of me. Right. Uh, so I, I wasn't feeling too good. And so I, I had a couple of days of, but despite actually not being well earlier in this week, uh, my bride needed my help to fix the ice maker in the fridge. And there was this part of me that, that just refused to relent until I fixed it. You know, and, and, and I just kept going yeah. at it. I kept researching. I never fixed this thing before, but I was not going to give up. And I finally got it working. I finally got it working last night. And, and I was so proud of myself for that. And I know that a big part of it was I needed to compete with Marcus of yesterday. And, and the Marcus yeah. of yesterday didn't know how to fix it, but Marcus today knows how to fix it. And I didn't have to call anyone yeah. to do it. Right. And it's just try hard things. Right. Even if you fail to not be afraid to fail. And what I tell my wife is like, hey, when something breaks, give me permission to say whether or not I want to fix it or not. Mm -hmm. You know, don't don't just automatically assume that I can't or call someone like, you know, because I need to as a man, I want to feel like I have what it takes to do it. Right. Right. And then if I can't, if I just like literally don't know how to rewire my house. Uh, then I'll call somebody, you know, but I want to like, I want to feel like I can at least attempt it and even fail at it. And in failure, feel really good about the failure. Right. Because you put in the effort and that's a big part of your growth in manhood, our growth in manhood. We put in the effort to the extent that we could. And then we were able to acknowledge that, no, I actually need help with that, which is a big part of maturation in manhood. Right. Like St. Paul like, says it best, right? Like in our weakness, we're made strong. Like in his failure, grace was abounded even more. And so like actually failure in the spiritual life means that we're, we're trying, we're going at it. And yet we're building these spiritual muscles, even in failure. And, and the Lord's grace is, is, is more abundant because of our effort in doing it. So like failure shouldn't be a reason to quit, but to continue. Right. Amen. And that's one of those things that us as fathers have to keep inculcating in our sons. They need to see us not only succeeding, but failing and being gracious about failure, learning from failure and rising up. Because if we keep modeling that virtue for our children, they're going to realize this is what authentic manhood ought to look like. Yes. Yes, exactly. Because you know, as my kids are older, you know, my oldest is getting married this year uh, to to know that they can handle life and failure and, and get back up, you know, like because it's not easy. Um, and the spiritual life it, itself, right, yep. as well. And so seeing like my wife and I just struggle through life and apologize and ask forgiveness and continue to go to mass and serve the Lord and and pray even when it's not working, all those things like that they can have that image and say, you know what, I can continue and not give up too. I think you make a great point there. 
And you highlight this in your book exactly. A man is one who is willing to acknowledge faults, is willing to admit his mistake, and who's always seeking to discover God's plan for his life. So, you know, just tell us about that. You know, you fail, you rise up, and, and, and you apologize, and, and you move on. That That's reflective of manhood. It is. I mean, uh, you know, I don't know if the most powerful words I can tell my kids is I love you or I'm sorry. Mm. Because they, they both... They both really are extremely important. And so to admit my failure and not live in it. And I, I meet with so many men who are just sitting in their failure, particularly as a, as a father or as a husband. And they're just afraid to re-engage because they're afraid to fail in, in loving their wife or their kids. And yet it's in that humility and that failure that like our family loves us even more because, hey, we're trying, we're doing our best, you know, we're relying on God's grace to lead us. So failure doesn't define us at all. Right. Chesterton has this lovely quote about marriage, and I say lovely, a lot of people find it jarring. It goes, marriage is a duel to the, de- to the death that no man of nobility should shy away from. Mm. And, and, yeah, and this is why, yeah, so good. Yeah, that's exactly what you're trying to tell us, that uh, as we keep modeling this for our children. So uh, we have just under a minute in the segment. Um, a big part of being good men is helping especially our children discover God's will for their life. So comment very briefly on that. Well, I think, you know, if you're reading statistics, like uh, as the father goes spiritually, so does the family. I mm-hmm. mean, it's just across the board spiritually. And I just tell men all the time is like the best thing that you can do in your marriage and in your faith is show up. You don't have to have all the answers. Mm-hmm. You don't have to know everything. Just show up because showing up like models for your kids what to do. And, uh, and, and that's the starting point. So, you know, you don't have to overcomplicate it uh, for men as you lead your wife and your kids spiritually to show up, you know, allow God's grace to allow you to show up each day. Uh, to lead your family prayerfully, joyfully, uh, to be the man that God created you to be. There's a chapter that really changed my life. It's St. Louis Martin, mm-hmm. who was married and um, and just had a beautiful vocation and modeled uh, marriage in such an amazing way. It's a powerful saint uh, to look to as a married man. Yeah, and I'm so grateful that the church gave us this extra role model to look to because us married men could use all the help we can get. So uh, thank you, Paul, for uh, being on the program today. It's been such a joy talking to you, a real breath of fresh air. For those of you interested, please look up Paul George on Ave Maria Press's website. Um, what is, uh, and, you know, the other the myriad of ways if you Google Paul George, he's a Catholic speaker, teacher and author of several, several books. I'm Marcus Peter filling in for Al Cresta and Cresta in the afternoon as we round off the second hour of today's program. <laughs> 